Underlying values stay the same regardless of changing perceptions. The more responsibility we take in our lives, the more power we have in the choices we make and how they affect us. Welcome to Start Off Unknown, Finish Unforgettable, The Challenges of a Second Lifetime. Okay, we're back with another episode of Start Off Unknown and Finish Unforgettable and today we're going to take a different turn in terms of like the topic at hand and I have a special guest to sort of like take us through the different notions of goal setting when it comes to like physical fitness or just overall well-being and I'm going to let him introduce himself so yeah, go Sweet. for it. Thanks for having me, by the way. Yeah. Um, so my name is TJ Wester. Uh, Boy Two and I went to college together at Whitworth University. Um, he graduated a year behind me. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. Um, and then we both work at the Spur Group. Uh, so this is what I'm planning on talking about today is an offshoot of a program that we support here, an employee resource group called Wellbeing. The focus of that is to provide uh, support to our people, our employees, and with the focus of creating a perpetual and consistent feeling of well-being at work. It's a place where we spend a ton of time, so it makes sense that it should be a place and a resource that can provide a high level of well-being for us, places that we feel known, places we feel we can get support, where people will listen to how we're doing both in work and outside of work. Um, Like I said, all for the focus of uh, people having a good experience from a well-being perspective at work. Obviously, there's a business case for this. Happy yeah. people are successful people. But <laughs> more importantly than that, intrinsically valuable is each human and their ability to um, self-actualize and create a well-being that's personal for them. And 
uh, touches on things like mental well-being, intellectual, physical, spiritual, all those things that we know to be important contributing factors. So one, one thing that we've been doing to support that is holding monthly passion talks. So generally what this is meant to do is to create an authentic space for people to share what they care about. Um, people have a lot of things that they're interested in outside of work. We have a lot of good employees here, but we have a lot of yeah. people that are good at um, all sorts of activities, have expertise in those areas and very distinct passions for those people that care about outreach and physical health, something that I care about. Yeah. We had someone speak about entrepreneurship. Uh, th this week, tomorrow, actually, we'll have someone give a talk on uh, their nonprofit, an outreach program for individuals who have uh, had encounters with sexual assault, both uh, personally victimized as well as associated with people with those types of stories. So uh, it's a great place for people to feel authentically known and mm -hmm. for people to have the chance to learn about cool topics, you know, learn about their coworkers more and feel a sense of belonging. It's a challenging thing to do to go up in front of people that present, but um, it's something that we believe to be valuable, both in the vulnerability of the activity as well as just the coolness of hearing someone get fired up about something they care about. So. Yeah. It's a cool concept to sort of like have your own identity within a workspace because I mean we could all be consultants but that's not who we are at the end of the day kind of thing. Yeah. Once we leave this office it's like you're that not necessarily a completely different person, but you just whoever that you are before you even started like working yeah. here. So Yeah, you take on a different self. And I don't know, I can't remember what your majors were for school, but um, mine were psychology and philosophy, which obviously have nothing to do with consulting. And yeah, so I was political science and history. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, it makes no sense whatsoever. And it's an area that you care about, that you have expertise in, that you have yeah. an education in, and that's not something that people will necessarily know about you when you walk in the door. They'll know Boy 2 as the consultant and not the yeah. one who cares about particular things. That's very true. That. Yeah, because obviously for the longest part, we all thought that we'd be doing something completely different at this point in time yep. in our lives. Yep. But it's like <laughs> the way life is, yeah. you just have to figure it out as you go. So, yeah, it's a good landing spot. And um, just a quick plug, we, j we both just came from a meeting that focused on therapy. And since it's like Mental Health Awareness Week, the Spur Wellbeing Group has done an incredible job at actually bringing to the forefront the different aspects of mental health and how to take care of yourself from a holistic point of view and yeah. not just from the physical well-being. Yeah. But that is what we're going to talk about today, the yeah. physical side. <laughs> so do you want to touch on what you spoke about in your Passion Talk? Yeah, I will. So as the program lead for Passion Talks, um, I try to get the ball rolling a little bit by being a first participant. So the first Passion Talk we held about three or four weeks ago, I was one of two participants. Um, I have a passion outside of SPUR for just physical wellness and well-being. I enjoy working out myself. I find it to be beneficial from many different points of view um, and have dedicated a portion of my life to practicing that. I was a coach for a period of time. Mm -hmm. um, I would say that my, my time working out is personally valuable because it allows me to um, you know, create a sense of discipline, see and achieve results in the physical space and create a general sense of wellness. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's there to help me um, both mentally and physically. Um, so it's an area that I have a particular passion about. So for the passion talk, I decided to just touch on some kind of general theoretical things about fitness. Um, my goal for the, for the 10 minutes, I think it was a pretty short presentation, was to 
first establish a working definition of fitness. So mm -hmm. fitness means a different, you know, different things to a lot of other people. We have sports specific fitness, some more skill oriented people that can throw a ball really fast and a really small target, people yeah. that can swing a bat, shoot hoops. Um, and then we have kind of our general fitness characteristics. So my goal was to kind of separate those sport specific skills from very generally what we understand fitness to be. Um, and what I did to motivate that was identify 10 specific fitness characteristics that when had in total together created a sort of complete representation of fitness. You'll notice that the list is pretty exhaustive and um, includes a lot of what I see and what some people see sometimes to be mutually exclusive characteristics like strength and flexibility yeah. um, or cardiovascular endurance and flexibility. Um, so I'll list those briefly uh, and then kind of move forward in, in the rest of what I covered. Um, a quick teaser as well, I did a focus on kind of applying these to what, what fitness meant in practice. So allowing kind of someone who carried these characteristics to test themselves against other people that were just specialists. So these were in obviously very like rigorous competitive tests like yeah. weightlifting maxes, running a marathon, etc. but also just sort of general physical preparedness. So being fit for life essentially. Um, but we'll get into that. So <laughs> yeah. uh, the 10 characteristics are cardiovascular and respiratory endurance, stamina, strength, and flexibility. So those first four are physical characteristics. Yeah. Those are things that you can see, that you can observe. It has to do with muscle tissue. Um, it has to do with the presence of fascia and connective tissue, the health of your joints, etc. So those are like physical, measurable things that we can see. We then have a set of neurological characteristics that go along with those first four. So those are coordination, agility, balance, and accuracy. So all things that have to do with the engagement of your, your brain and movement patterns and vigilance and the ability to be accurate and move your body in a specific space. Mm -hmm. And then what we do is we combine those physical characteristics with those neurological characteristics for two other uh, traits of fitness that we're calling. So this rounds us out to a total of 10. And those are power and speed. Um, so the reason that they're a combination of physical and neurological characteristics are they are physical characteristics like strength and stamina applied in a very specific and intentional way that create power and speed. So power definitionally is the ability of a muscular unit or combination of units to m apply maximum force in a minimum amount of time. Yeah. Um, and then speed is the ability to minimize the time cycle of a repeated movement. So calling on those physical skills, but doing so in a coordinated and efficient way increases your efficiency and your ability to do work. So that's kind of an example of why that's a combination of the two. What's an example of that kind of exercise, would you say? Totally. So um, the the best thing that I like to, to use for this is the Olympic weightlifting. So Olympic mm, lifting yeah, is, yeah. the there's two events. There's a snatch and a clean jerk, both of which require the athlete to move a weight from the ground to over their head. Yeah. Um, one is done in a single movement, that's a snatch, so uh, you pull it high, drop underneath and stand it up on a squat, finishing overhead. Uh, similar with the clean and jerk, except it makes it to your shoulders first, and then, uh, so it's a, it's a clean and then a press, so usually a split jerk. Um, both of those movements require a ton of strength and flexibility, uh, stamina, but most importantly, because they're so unbelievably technical, they require uh, our neurological skills like uh, accuracy and balance yeah. specifically. So those things combined in tandem, I wish I could, I wish this was a video and I could show a, a really high class uh, performance <laughs> of one of these movements, yeah. but 
It's the ability to move a ton of weight, so something that requires a lot of strength and flexibility mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in a very specific way to maximize your own ability to output power um, to complete the task, which is the lift. So that one far and above is one that I use an example for both because yeah. it's, yes, it's raw strength. It's, the, it's just the raw muscular ability yeah, to move weight, yeah. but it's done in such a precise way that allows for the, I mean, people to... I mean, I think the one of the world records was set recently. Someone snatched 450 pounds and clean and jerked over 550 pounds, that's which insane. is unheard of. That's yeah, a weight that's that is hard to conceptualize for a lot of people. Yeah, <laughs> especially for somebody who's not so familiar with that kind of means of exercise. They don't understand how much of the technique goes yeah. into it because it's like you can be a, a pretty big dude and not even be able to clean and jerk, let's say like 250 for yeah, instance. Yeah, yeah. Just because of like how it comes down to the basics or like the foundational aspects of it and how absolutely that informs how you can move that kind of weight in a particular kind of way. Yeah. Because I remember, I think the first time I did a clean and jerk was in high school most mm-hmm. probably and was for track and just seeing like how other guys struggled just based off, not mostly based off like their body types, but just because of like the lack of technique that yeah. went into it. Timing, precision. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then you get like to a point of like how, I mean, when it comes to like certain aspects of the, the clean and jerk, when it comes to like moving the weight from your shoulders to above your head, mm-hmm. that's also partially technique, but then there's also a part of it that comes into like you actually strengthening your shoulders and actually yeah. making sure that you can move that kind of weight. Absolutely. And not just let it come down to you cleaning and jerking it at the end of the day kind of thing yeah absolutely so yeah yeah it's a mixture of all of it's, all for it's sure. insane bro and you actually don't realize the importance of that kind of exercise until you do it consistently because you become more explosive you're just yeah. able to do things so much with so much more ease than you were like initially just because you are not necessarily just sitting in a chair lifting weights above your head yeah or just doing deadlifts the whole time. I mean, yeah. each exercise has its own benefits, mm-hmm. but then you don't realize like when you're moving with that kind of motion, yeah. how much overall, how how that improves your overall, yeah, not only physical well-being but just physical capabilities. Yeah, well, it's inclusive. It's very yeah, inclusive. Yeah, yeah. If you think about, if you end up sort of taking this work back idea, and you're obviously seeing this single point in time where someone performs this feat. And then you understand everything that goes into it. Mm-hmm. It shows you that the single feat of strength and obviously all these other characteristics is truly representative of fitness in a lot of ways because it brings in so many uh, characteristics. It requires proficiency in so yeah. many areas. Especially if you like, for me personally, um, at the point in time when I started doing that, I didn't realize how much that would improve sort of like my box jumps or just my initial yeah. starting points when it yeah. comes to like running and stuff like that. Yeah. Just because you think that it's based in a particular motion that other mechanics don't necessarily influence how you see it or how your trajectory may change just based off like your level to be explosive to a certain extent. Mm -hmm. But then it's like once you start to see that, I mean, people more often than not shy away from exercises that may be unfamiliar. But then when it comes to like clean and jerks, your overall physical capabilities are so much more enhanced once you start completing those exercises because it's like people who avoid to do burpees yeah 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 people yeah okay go for it i was just gonna say one thing that you've touched on actually that um a lot of 
fitness methodologies claim to do is they reinforce similar movement patterns. Yeah. So you have the opening, opening and closing of the hip. That's a movement pattern that's seen in deadlifts, in burpees, in yeah. box jumps, in kettlebell swings, in the clean and press. Like these are all things that will mimic a similar movement. Even rowing. If yeah. you look at rowing, if you're on a rowing machine, it's something that imitates the movement pattern of a deadlift, something where your yeah. feet are anchored, you're in a particular position, your back is straight, you're driving through your legs and finishing by extending your hips and mm-hmm. flexing your quads. That's something that is a is a shared movement pattern across a lot of movements. And as Boitu mentioned, is, a, is something that can end up paying off in other areas, even though you might not be specifically training those. So let's yeah. say you clean and jerk for a month, and then you notice that your box jumps have gotten better. You can jump higher, you can mm-hmm. jump for longer, your knees, your ankles, your feet feel better. Yeah. Um, so that's something that a lot of fitness methodologies I know try and do. So my question is, when it comes to sort of like, us being able to understand the, the concepts of like different aspects of fitness or physical well-being, how much of it would you say is comprised of like not only just individual responsibility, but like for somebody who's starting out or for, or for somebody who's been doing it for a couple of months inconsistently, like would you suggest they get like a personal trainer or they do their own kind of research or is it like a mixture of both or? It's a great question. And I think that that question becomes more important when you look at a complete definition of fitness that has 10 pretty exhaustive skills. So you look at that and you say, all right, well, if this is what it means to be fit, then like, good luck. Like I'll, I'll Mm. get, I'll get fit maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Cause it's a, it it looks like a lot to do. Um, Mm -hmm. And so it can be intimidating to be expected to have this type of complete fitness. Um, And so it's something that uh, a group class can help. It's something that personal training can help. Mm -hmm. Um, Generally, I love, I love fitness methodologies that teach good movement patterns. They teach safe movement patterns. They're in some way oriented towards community. So if that's a group class, a small group, big group, um, something personal trainer where you have that relationship, those are the areas that I see people thrive a lot. Um, it's interesting because in the passion talk that I gave, I tried to apply some of this stuff to, um, sort of our real world execution of a fitness program. Not a lot of people have a ton of time to work out and a lot of people they'll show up to the gym and they want that time to be used well. So if you don't have a ton of time, of course you want that time to be used as effectively as possible. Yeah. You don't want to spend an hour doing something where you could spend an hour doing something different and get more out of that. So I, I, I positioned this thought experiment during the, uh, during the talk that I gave that was just meant to elicit some thoughts about how time is being spent. Um, the thought experiment is, let's say that you're, you're a coach. You're being given the opportunity to be in charge of someone else's fitness development. Yeah. Um, and they come to you and they say, I want you to make me as fit as possible. Um, and I will give you three hours of my week. Uh, one hour over three days. So we can say Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And the the thought experiment is how would you spend that time? You, ha- you have been given yeah. the opportunity and the chance to increase someone's fitness, but you've been given a limited amount of time. And it's really important to think about, obviously, the physical things that you would do in that. Like what list would you have them do? What would you, would you spend time warming up? Would you spend time cooling down, stretching? Would you perform compound lifts only? Would you do powerlifting, bodybuilding, yeah, CrossFit, yeah. strongman? And that's obviously a good conversation to have, knowing that we have a pretty complete definition of fitness to work with, wondering how we can touch on all the characteristics at once. Maybe you just have them clean and jerk for a while. Maybe, yeah, maybe weightlifting yeah. is the way to go. 
Um, but also, I, I thought it was pretty cool to think about other things that you would use uh, that time for. Like, would you talk to them about their goals? Would you work with them to understand their tendencies when they come into the gym more often? Would you talk about how they wanted to apply their fitness? Would you spend 10 or so minutes just practicing meditation or mindfulness to get in a space to receive good fitness programming. Yeah. Um, it's a it's a thought experiment that I think is beneficial for everyone. I think everyone in some way cares about being physically fit and being physically healthy. It's just a matter of actually executing that. And if you take the perspective of you're managing someone else's uh, fitness, it's a little bit easier to be a little more hardline, a little more directive. Yeah. Um, and then you can take all of those things that you apply for that individual and apply them to yourselves. Um, it's important to be fit. It's important, and I know most people would share that level of importance um, but being able to spend that time knowing that it's minimal knowing that it's not you know you don't want to spend forever in the gym and wanting to spend it effectively is something that's important to do I have obviously my own leanings towards fitness programs um, but generally we we hope to give people the opportunity to do functional movements things that will help them in the gym but things yeah. that just help them be better at life make them more adaptable make them more generally prepared for anything physical um, my the third thing that I covered apart from this thought experiment and our complete definition of fitness was motivating this particular type of fitness which I call general physical preparedness obviously you'll notice that those 10 characteristics are pretty exhaustive someone who's strong and has got a lot of stamina cardiovascular endurance flexibility strength you know power accuracy all this yeah. stuff someone who is out on paper is someone who I think everyone would intuitively say is extremely fit maybe the most fit maybe the most con you know comprehensively fit yeah um and so the thought experiment is it's called the hopper method. So imagine that you're uh, at your local retirement center and you're playing bingo with your uh, <laughs> with your geriatric friends. Yeah. Um, and there's the the hopper is full of, of bingo balls. So you you know you spin the hopper and a and a ball pops out with a number and, and everyone knows how to play bingo from there on out. Um, so imagine that you have a similar type of game, but on each of those balls there's a fitness test. Mm. So you have a one rep max deadlift, you have a marathon, you have shot put, yeah. you have uh, you know a, a rock climbing problem or a particular route, you have you know swim 100 meters, all yeah. these things. And the, the hopper's huge, it's full of tests. And including some of these high performance, maybe more competitive tests, there's also maybe some general tasks that, that you would find. So maybe it's, you know, walk from, you know, walk three miles. Maybe it's, um, you know, carry a stone 400 meters from one location mm. to the other. Maybe it's dig a five by five by five hole. The idea is, is that if you took every possible fitness test, the person who I just described, the person who is physically fit in all of these areas yeah. is going to perform better on average than any one specialist. In addition to performing well on those, they walk into that test feeling more confident about their ability to perform any type of physical challenge um, than, than what I would argue most other people who specialize in particular areas. Now what this does is it creates an elite level of fitness. Obviously the better that you can get all these things and just you know kind of move yourself 1% higher in all yeah. those categories across the board, that's the pinnacle. You're looking to be 100% good and successful in all of those areas. So you, you end up creating this elite level of fitness, someone who can do pretty much anything that they're asked to do. 
what you also create is this just general confidence of being physically prepared. Mm-hmm. Um, you have the ability to try new sports, try new things, do yeah. other fitness tests. Yeah. You can, I mean, even something that I've been able to do as simple as working out on Friday, having a competition on Saturday, and then going for a hike on Sunday. Something that I no longer think very critically about as to whether or not I'll be able to actually do that Yeah. because I trust that I've created a level of fitness that my body can do that. And it's incredibly empowering from a performance standpoint. It's obviously very beneficial, but from just like a general, I am a fit person perspective, it can be very empowering and confidence building. No longer do you necessarily care what you look like yeah, or how your fitness is presented so to others, but it's the question isn't what do you look like? It's what can you do? So with the body that you've been given and the body that you've cultivated in a lot of ways, what can you do? And all of a sudden, the conversation turns more into performance than it does to aesthetics. That's very true. Which I believe is, is obviously super important. Yeah, because, I mean, we've come so far from a generation that was so caught up or concerned about like the way that you look compared to like how healthy yes. you are overall. Because, like for instance, I think um, especially the difference... When my trajectory changes, I remember in high school when um, uh, we work in what we call terms. So like you go like first term is like from like January till March, mm-hmm. and then second term is like yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's broken up into quarters essentially. Mm-hmm. And um, in the second and third, that's when I would in the second I'd be uh, participating in like rugby, for instance. Mm-hmm. And before rugby season even started, like during preseason, would focus on um, your one rep uh, max bench. Mm-hmm deadlift and then five rep max squat yeah um how many right. <laughs> how many pull-ups you can do yeah, yeah. within a uh given moment um i think your your time that uh how long you can hold a plank position gotcha um and then what we call i don't know what you guys call it in america but in south africa it's called like a beep test where you like Run to the one side. It's called the beep test here too. Yeah, yeah, you see, those are terrible. Yeah, those are horrible. But then it's almost like you see like a mix of like different aspects of like physical. Yeah, they're testing you on yeah. lots of things. Yeah, and then from that they take they used to take the results and then formulate sort of like a, basically a gym or training program regimen that you would be able to follow throughout the season or for a number of weeks to increase and, those things. Exactly. Yeah. So just seeing that and how beneficial it was or like being able to translate um those skills or those strengths into track or something else kind of thing Mm -hmm. and just seeing how physical performance is not just down to if i can run this fast then i should be able to do a b and c yeah myself as a sprinter i know that i could not run a half marathon i have friends who run half marathon and more often than not i'm just like how do you even get yourself to the capability of like being able to run yeah. for like let's say like 12 miles for yeah. instance mm-hmm. and it's like for me personally five miles is my limit just yeah. because like i've convinced myself that when it comes to my physical preparedness of being able to complete said mm-hmm. or such a task mm-hmm. i can only go so far but it's like i've listened to so many podcasts or read so many books or interacted with so many people that so like touch on the different aspects of like the mental side of it like the totally, mental toughness yeah, side yeah. of it like the simple there's a speech that's used so many times but it's like this one marine who talks about the importance of like making your bed first thing in the morning yeah and how that sort of like changes your yeah. mental preparedness to complete tasks throughout the day essentially. yeah yeah and so just going back to the point of like being able to do the basics really well yeah. and how that sort of like influences how you 
progress when you get to like a high level of performance and being able to translate those skills into different formats and not feel yeah. like you are stuck in one particular kind of way or yeah. form of fitness essentially absolutely no that's a great way of putting it and i think that that's actually a great segue into some of the things that i use to apply or that some of me, some of the things that i apply directly to the fitness space yeah. to improve, to set goals, to continue to grow and expand my ability. Mm-hmm. And also something that I, a framework that I take into some of the other areas that I hope to grow and um, and continue to improve in. And it actually is really in line with the sort of mastering the basics, understanding that there's a specific thing that you want to get and that there are measurable steps that can be taken to get yeah. there. Um, so I mean, I'm borrowing a lot of this from my experience at Whitworth. I'm not sure actually if you got this. It might have been a little bit through core, but um, one of the things that I was taught is that improvement in any area. I mean, this was for me at the time I was studying philosophy, and so the the area was moral improvement. So this yeah. was about understanding what it means to be a good person, and mm-hmm. understanding where you are, and understanding where you want to be, and then also understanding how to get there. Um, and anytime we aren't where we want to be, it can be tough to know the path to get there. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Just yeah. whatever to do. Do I do this? Should I follow this? Should I listen to this? Should I read this? Um, and I mean, macroscopically, the importance is for me under this framework is repeated, consistent, habitual yeah. tasks. So what it, what it means in this framework, the framework that I'm borrowing from, Uh, moral virtue the development of moral virtue obviously aristotle was the first to talk about that and a lot of uh, folks that have come after him have spoken Mm -hmm. about it as well but aristotle defines excellence as having these specific robust characteristics things like being just and fair and temperate all these things and he, he attempts to demystify all of these things individually by saying all they are are just very strong habits. Mm, so in any, yeah. in any given situation where you would need to call on that, the best way to have that ready for you to perform it is to just consistently practice it. So if I'm expected to be uh, fair in a particular situation, my goal is to practice fairness as much as I possibly can so that that's an easy thing for me to do, even yeah. when it's most challenging. Um, And if we look at the things that we want as just habits and we look at needing to just practice those consistently over and over to form that habit, then uh, we start to demystify other things that we want. Well, if you want to be fit and you want to be fit in a particular area, let's say you want to get better at push-ups, it is just as simple as working on your push-ups and doing that consistently over time. And I found that process to be um, very, very motivating. The... The process to establish what you want and understand where you want to be and then take the measurable steps to get there and you make progress and maybe even eventually get that is a very rewarding and fulfilling experience. Without a doubt, yeah. So, because, go ahead, yeah, go yeah, ahead. Yeah, I'd say for instance, like I think the longest time for me, it's almost as if I had formed an identity of if I'm consistently in great shape, that means everything else should fall in line. Yeah, And it doesn't necessarily work that way unless if you're proactively trying to get better in those different kinds of aspects of your life and not just making it dependent on one side of it. Absolutely. Like for instance, in the therapy talk that Michael just gave, um, he talked about like the influence of like your physical well-being to your mental well-being and just how mm-hmm. transferable those aspects are in terms of like, yeah. what do you do when you're not feeling like physically well? 
then they lust whatever. Yeah. What do you do when you're not feeling mentally well? Then you lust whatever. But then we're, ac- yeah. we're actually starting to see like the importance of like how your physical well-being could also inform like your mental well-being or how your yeah. mental well-being takes form or manifests in the physical sense. Yeah. And I mean, ultimately, what I take away from this and what I think people should take away from this is that success in a, in a large part is personally owned. We know that a, there are a ton yeah. of other factors that mm-hmm. in, influence one's own ability to be successful in any given area. And we're obviously still trying to make meaningful progress in yeah. these areas to remove any arbitrary reasons why someone wouldn't be able to be successful. Mm-hmm. Areas that they grow up, opportunity, um, you know, socioeconomic status, all that stuff. However, all those things being the same, what, what the good message of this is, is you should feel empowered that you can own your own success. Yeah. You can decide where you want to be and you can take measurable steps. All of these small, maybe seemingly insignificant tasks that accumulate into what I see to be kind of a robust excellence. I'd actually love to share a quote if you don't mind. Yeah, go for it. I think that'll be our closing point. Perfect. Yeah. Um, So uh, I would love to close with this. It's a quote by someone named Dan Chambliss. Um, I actually read this book called Grit. um, That's a great book. It's a great book. Uh, the, The general focus of it is to figure out what makes people good and what is maybe the defining factor for people to be successful, especially in situations where success is difficult. And what they find is that the sort of this repeated, consistent, like maybe seemingly laborious, but habitual action is what ends up contributing to the the success, the ability to, to stay the course, the ability to still perform these small tasks. Anyway, I recommend the book. It's by Angela Duckworth. She's a, a research behavioral psychologist. Um, and actually some of that research came from her just trying to figure out what made smart people smart. She did an index of the most intelligent people to ever live and actually found that a very consistent characteristic for people that are successful is this ability to have grit and to have grit. So I would say recommend that book. That's the most I'll say about it. And I'll close with the quote. (laughs) Um, So this is Dan Chambliss, someone that she uh, quoted in her book. So he says, superlative performance is really just a confluence of dozens of small skills or activities, each one learned or stumbled upon, which have been carefully drilled into habit and then are fitted together in a synthesized whole. And this is the important part to me, this next part, which I see as the demystification of this process. He says, there is nothing extraordinary or superhuman in any one of those actions. Only the fact that they are done consistently and correctly and all together and then produce excellence. So I see the good news of this message is wherever you find yourself, either in need of refinement or complete redirection, the tools for success and greatness are easily accessible and come in the form of small, practiced habits that join together to form robust qualities of a high-achieving person, Um, which I read as uh, something that's very encouraging to me. It's empowering and exciting, and uh, it's a great, at least in my experience, sort of process to follow to get where you want to be. Yeah. So that'll be our closing point. So remember to take ownership of your growth and development and reach out to those people who may have more expertise on the subject and do some research. Physical well-being, mental well-being, or just overall well-being is so interconnected and we should not limit ourselves to what we have always known or what we have been conditioned to know. So there's always room for change or improvement. I think TJ agrees with me. (laughs) So, yeah, thank you for listening, guys. 